0: We just sing a song that said, God of mercy, God of grace. I am a living, breathing example today that we serve a God of mercy and grace because he has changed my life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we begin. Lord, you are so good. Lord, this morning we confess that you are the head of the church. It's not a pastor. It's not a group of people. It's the living God. You are the head of the church and the head of Luke 4.18. God, today as we come into this place and we discuss mission and we discuss vision Lord, I pray, God, that that each of us can hear what you are speaking. Lord, I pray that my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that our faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of the living God. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you move me completely out of the way. God, that you speak mightily. And that we hear the breath of God go forth in this place. And that we will leave looking more like Jesus than when we entered this place this morning. God, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all glory. For it's in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. But before we get there, I'm going to go to Matthew 28. But I'm only going to read three verses. So go on to Genesis chapter 22. I want to ask you a question. What is the mission of the church? People often talk about mission and they talk about vision. Mission is what ultimately is your your end goal. It's it's what you're doing. It's your purpose. It's why you exist. Your vision is... Is how you obtain that mission. It's how you fulfill that mission. It's how you go forth. So let me ask you, what is the mission of the church? If you went back to uh, our bylaws, it says the mission. Brother Fred uh, wrote that 11 years ago. And basically, it is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Many of you know it. Many of you know 19 and 20, but I believe that we have to go back to verse 18. It says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and lo, I will, I am with you always even to the end of the age that's the mission of the church the mission of the church is to make disciples to share the gospel and to help disciples grow every day so that they will go forth and what make disciples the whole purpose of that is so that the name of Jesus will be glorified that's our goal that's our mission that's our desire that's our hunger that's what we long for In the church. That's what we long for at Luke 4.18. Is that God's name would be glorified. And so that's our mission. Today I want to share with you a little bit about our vision. And as we do so I want to flip over to to Genesis chapter 22. Which is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now I want you to know and just kind of share with you since uh, Brother Fred... Uh, joked about about the time, Uh, I have asked them today to remove the clock off the back screen. Some of y'all may be nervous, but listen, I believe that that's not important today. What's important is that we hear exactly where we're headed and how we're going to move forward every day. In in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 4, I'm just going to read verses 4 through 8. It says this, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to the young man, or to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and we will return to you. In verse 5, Abraham said to the young, or excuse me, in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his son, he took in his hand fire and the knife So the two of them walked on together. In verse 27, Isaac spoke to Abraham the father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham then responds. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. We see here an incredible moment in Abraham's life. God's given Abraham a promise. God has promised him that through his lineage and through, through, through Isaac, through his son, that he would see that the generations beyond would be blessed through him. And then God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to lay it on the altar. I want you to take every bit of who you are the promises, everything. I want you to lay it down on the altar and I want you to trust me. In verse 5, if you go back to it, it says, Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return. The first reference to worship in all of scripture is right here in verse 5 of Genesis 22. Isn't it incredible that God had called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and he speaks to To the men, and he says, The the boy and I will go forward. We will worship God and we will return. He didn't say, And I will return without my son. He says, We will return. Why? Why did Abraham say that? Because he knew God. He knew God. He knew God and he knew that God doesn't just provide, he knew that God is provider. He knew God. So here we see Abraham knowing God. When God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to pick up everything, your family. I want you to leave your comforts. I want you to leave your plans and your will and all these things. I want you to land. I mean, I want you to leave and go to a land that I'm calling you. Just go. I'll I'll lead you. I'll direct you. And when you get there, I'll let you know you're there. If he did not know God, how in the world would he have just gotten up and said, okay. But he knew God. He knew that he was provider. We see further on in the story here, we see on down, going to verse 12. And he said... Abraham lays his son down and and he goes to sacrifice his son. I mean, all the way to the point. I mean, I've seen pictures that were obviously drawn because we don't have photographs from that moment, which would be amazing. But he goes all the way to, to, to draw the knife to his son. He's laying it all on the altar. It's all before God. It's yours, God, every bit of who I am. He draws that knife up. And then here we see in verse 12, it says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. Look at this, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He's saying, hey, you have not withheld anything from me, Abraham. And then he goes on and he says, and Abraham raised up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. It just, just happened that a ram was there. I mean, just, just happen chance. No. God is provider, and he provided the ram for him to sacrifice. We see that when Abraham trusts, he knows God, he trusts, and he obeys God, we see that God is his provider. But I want you to see even further down, if you'll go to verse 15, it says this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. All right, so he has now sacrificed uh, the ram, or we see that, that Isaac was on the sacrifice. God provides a ram. Isaac's now off the sacrifice or off the altar, and the ram is there. And then the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and he says in verse uh, 15, he says this, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. You say, David, he's talking about Abraham. Have you ever heard the song, Father Abraham had many sons? What's the next song? Had Father Abraham. And, Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. What would you say? I am one of them and so are you. So so what we see here is Abraham, because of his obedience, God said, because you've laid it all down on the altar, God has said, I will bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed. And as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is in the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemy, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have, what? Obeyed my voice say, David, that's a a lot to, to process. Yes, here's what the Lord spoke to me just recently. As I was preparing for this message to share with you vision, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. Is that until we have laid ourselves individually on the altar, every bit of who we are, and Luke 4.18 on the altar, every bit of who we are corporately, When we do that, there is a promise of God that he will bless to generations to come. Let me just say that again. When we lay all of who Luke 4.18 is on the altar, and we say, God, you are the provider of Luke 4.18. You are the head of Luke 4.18. Let me tell you something. Nothing in this culture will ever be able to shut down or shut the doors of Luke 4.18. And the reason is, is because God is the head of this place. You may say, David, I'm, I'm, I long for my children and my grandchildren to know Christ. Let me tell you something, as long as we're on the altar and Luke 4:18's on the altar, this place right here, Luke 4:18, will be a lighthouse in the city for generations and generations and generations to come. And so let me ask you this question before I even start today. Have we laid ourselves on the altar? Let me go a little deeper than that. Have we laid our personal desires and preferences and will on the altar to say, God, I want it your way? Have we laid our own personal appetites on the altar? Because God, we want you to be the head of Luke 4.18. And I'm talking about myself too. And let me just say this about the appetite. All right, so we had Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Esau, right? No. Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob. Why did Esau miss the blessing of the lineage? Because his appetite was bigger. His appetite and his desire was bigger than allowing himself to go and see the blessing of what God was doing. He gave up his birthright to Jacob because his appetite was too strong. And he said, what good is a birthright if I'm going to die? But Jesus called us to die to self. To die to self and to follow him with all of our life. Today I want to share with you the vision here at Luke 4.18. And the vision that we have at Luke 4.18 is simply this, to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make God known. It is called making disciples. That's our vision. Our vision is to go and make disciples. So today I want to share with you what this looks like. The first step in the discipleship journey is to know God. The first step is to know God. You say, David, help me understand that. Abraham knew God, and because he knew God, he could trust, obey, and lay it all on the altar. To know God means that you have personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a place of salvation. You have personally laid down your will for God's will. You have said, I want to know Him. And him alone. It's not that you know about God. Listen, you can know about God all you want. But until you know him personally. As your Lord and Savior. You don't know him. You will know the scripture in the book of Matthew. Where it says many will come to me and say. I did all these things in your name. And what will Jesus say to them? Depart from me you work of iniquity. I never what? Knew you. I'm not talking about just doing religious things. I'm not talking about just let's, let's check boxes that we're, we're good enough or that we, that, we're, that we know enough or that we have higher knowledge. No, I'm saying that we must know God. We must know Christ. The first step in this process is, is to know God. Look at what it says in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 and 8, Paul says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of what? Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Man, that's what Abraham did. He said, I count, I, I count it all loss. I'm getting up, I'm going, I'm following God. Because I've given all of who I am to God. I have died to myself. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what Paul is saying here is that I count all things as loss. I've given it all up that I may know Christ. For who I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. One of the biggest things that we do here at Luke 4.18 is help people know God. Not know about God, not know about religion, but to help people truly come to a place of personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to know Him, to know Him personally. The scripture also tells us in John 17.3, it says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? That you know God. Let me ask you this question. We can, have, we can close the whole thing down today with this. Do you know God? Because if not, you will hear from him, depart from me, you, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. There's a major difference in this city between knowing about God and knowing God personally and having a personal relationship Laying down your will, laying down your desires, laying down your appetite, laying down your preferences and saying, God, I follow you and you alone. But knowing God does not just stop at salvation. One of the things I preach on all the time is that this is God's word that he's given to us. How do we get to know him? But that we hide this in our hearts. We meditate on it day and night. In the Old Testament, he said, I found God's word and I ate them. Why? Because he longed to know God intimately. People tell me all the time, I just don't know if I know God that intimately. Are you in the word? Because the word became flesh. It says that it's the breath of God. All scripture is God breathed. God speaking to us right here. This is how we get to know God. It says in John 17, 17, it says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the first process is to know. The first process and the vision is that we at Luke 418, we are going to continue to preach the gospel that people will know God personally, that they'll have a personal relationship with Him. Everything we do will point people back to knowing God as their Lord and Savior in a personal relationship. The second part of the discipleship making or the disciple making journey is to grow. Is to grow. God has called us not just to know, but to grow. Some of you are like, "Well, those two words go together." David, you're, you're you're graduating from to be a Southern Baptist preacher here. You know, you put them all together. Anything that does not grow is dead. Let me say that again: anything that does not grow is dead. This podium right here isn't growing. This chair over here isn't growing. This table, none of this is growing, which means it's not alive. If you want to know whether you truly are alive in Christ, you're going to see growth. It says that the fruit of the Spirit will begin to come forth from us. Why? Because we're growing in Him. I always tell people the example of this. Is that salvation is like when, when you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of a sudden a light comes on in the other end of the room. And you start walking to the light. That's salvation. The light comes on. It's, it's now your, your whole life is running to the light. It's running to Christ. But every step you take closer to the light, the more you see of the flesh that's on you. The more of you that you see and you pull that off because you want nothing but the light to reflect off of you. That's growing. In Galatians chapter 2, it says this, verse 20. I just said it earlier. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, listen. Growing is all about us crucifying the flesh. It's crucifying the flesh. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for all women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then here's the verse many of you know. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise of the present life and also the life which is to come. God has called us to grow and to, to, to get the spiritual disciplines in our life, studying the Word, praying, fasting. How do we do that At Luke 4.18? Through life groups, through D groups. Um, on Sunday mornings in here, on, on Wednesday nights, as we're walking through uh, what, what, the, the spiritual warfare. All these opportunities for us to grow every day. And we see that. The question is, do we look more like Jesus today than yesterday? Some of the signs of growth is that we start serving. Some of the signs of growth is that we start reproducing. Right? Right? We start reproducing and people start knowing God and we help them walk through the growing process. We start mentoring. We start uh, uh, giving. We start giving of our time, giving of our resources. Why? Because we've laid it all down. It's all His. Some of you say, well, man, you're talking about giving. Your growing in Christ is when your giving will exceed the treasures of this world. And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about your time. When you're more excited about the treasures in heaven than the treasures of this world that's when we truly are growing many opportunities at Luke 4 18 and we will continue to seek to help people grow and be strengthened so that they may stand the first thing is that we must know we're going to help people know Christ intimately personally the second thing is we're going to help people grow we're going to walk through discipleship we're going to continue to let iron be sharpen iron as one man sharpens another but growing in of itself is not enough the third part of the disciple making journey is to show let me just say growing without showing is the difference between the dead sea and the red sea the dead sea everything flows into the dead sea But nothing flows out of the Dead Sea, and so everything in it is dead. But in the Red Sea, things flow into it, and there's places for it to flow out. And because things flow in and flow out, things can live in the Red Sea. Let me ask you this question. Are we showing, are we demonstrating our faith every day? As a kid, I used to love show and tell. I used to love going to school for show and tell. And I would bring some of the wildest things to show and tell. Some of the craziest things I could find. I won't even share with you all the different things I brought to show and tell. But I was so excited. It was like show and tell day. Partially because we didn't have to do work when we were showing and telling about it. But the Lord spoke to me and said, David, your life every moment is show and tell. Every moment is show and tell. Let me ask you this question. Are we showing and telling people about Jesus? John 13, 34-35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you you have love for one another. By this, all people will know. How will they know? Because they see the love that's in you that, that surpasses any love that they can understand. You love because you've first been loved by Christ who gave his son to die for you. That's the greatest love that I could ever fathom. I tell you all the time, Romans 5, 8, it just, I can't get over it. God demonstrated his own love for us that though I was a sinner, Christ died for me. I mean, like when we just saying about a God of mercy, a God of grace, that's the whole thing. God loved us so much that he gave Jesus to die on the cross, that we could be set free. And we got to show the transformation of our life. You knowing God and growing will be evident in your actions. You growing in Christ will be evident in your actions. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Take pains with these things, be observed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this, By this we know that you have come to what? Know Him, if we keep His commandments. Keeping is an action word. Like, are we keeping what God is speaking to us, the commandments of God that He's sharing to us, which first and foremost says, Have no other gods before me when we keep His commandments, when we love as Jesus loved, and when we forgive as Jesus forgave, when we give as Jesus has given, people begin to see Jesus in us. We are showing the world the truth. Brother Fred just mentioned and did a great job talking about the body, the church. And so also, as we, the body of Christ, I believe that we should show something so different than any other organization in the world. Yes, individually we need to be showing. We need to know God intimately. We've got to grow daily and we've got to show the world who we are. But corporately, as a body of Christ, this place should look so different than any other organization in the world. Let me show you what it says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. It says this, So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. This body of believers, because we know Christ, because we're growing together, and as we show the love of the body of Christ together, people should see the difference here than any other organization. I preached a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And I talked about what authentic fellowship looked like. And I shared to you the one to another passages. And that truly is us showing the world the difference here that we forgive each other, that we love each other, that we care for each other, that we're going to run together with each other, that we're going to have all things in common. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, has bonded us together with a bond that no other organization can experience. In James chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, faith without works is dead. It says, go in peace and be warned and, and be filled And yet do not give them, what is, well, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse. Verse Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Are we a Red Sea or a Dead Sea? I pray to God that we continue to be a Red Sea. In making disciples, we live out, we show the gospel which has transformed us from death to life. We give people opportunities all the time within Luke 4:18 to show the gospel, but let me just tell you something. It's not just here. it's as you go. And the last thing in the disciple process, the vision of Luke 4:18 is no. it's "grow, it's show, and it's go." Now let me just tell you the reason that there's arrows all around that is because none of these stop. This is not like a one, two, three, four process, and yes, we're a disciple of Christ. No, this is what we are committed to as Luke 4.18 to do for generations to come. And let me tell you something, you'll never stop growing until you're with him forever and ever. As I was sitting here praying over this, I was sitting with Brother Ed and Brother Fred, and I was like, man, like they are uh, older than I am, and they are continually growing in Christ. They're continually getting to know their Father. They're continually showing the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you this, they're continually going. Now, you may say, David, I can't go. I can't travel. Well, when you put it in that perspective, you missed it. God has called us to live sent. God has called us to go wherever you wake up today. Well, all of y'all are in Mobile, so guess where your mission field is today? Mobile, Alabama. Now I do want you to know in Acts chapter one, verse eight, one of my favorite verses, it says, But you have received power, but when you but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So I want you to see, and many of y'all know I love visual aids. So I want you to see that this is our vision. You say, David, there's enough here in Mobile. Why are we going across the world? Because God's called us to. You're in Mobile a whole lot more than you're in the world. Why aren't you going every day? You wouldn't make that excuse if we were going every day in Mobile when you're only one week or two weeks or three weeks out of the year in the nation. Let me say this. This is going to be very uh, strong, but listen, I think that we can all grasp it. Any vision short of this any vision short of this is not the gospel any vision short of the world is not the gospel it's not well God's only giving me a vision for mobile wait you don't understand God's called us to all the world he's called us to go he's called us to share the gospel across the nation But you're absolutely right. He's called you to Mobile today because that's where you're breathing. That's where you're living. That's where you're using up oxygen. And praise God, I I think that I've come up with a phrase that wherever you're using oxygen, that's your mission field. But this is our vision. Our vision is to go to the whole world. You say, David, we do amazing things. We give to missions across the world. I'm going to tell you in just a second. But we've given in the past 11 years at Luke 4.18 over $2.4 million to missions. And that is glory to God and God alone because he's the one who gave it to us to give and bless beyond measure. But I'm not sitting here saying that we just have to give. God's called us to go every day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 20, it says this. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And look at this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's not when you sign up for a week-long mission trip. That's not when you go, uh, you're called out for, for a life over in another part of the world. You have been called here, in your workplace, in your home. Students in your school, with your family, everywhere you go. You know, isn't it interesting that we try so hard not to bump into anybody in life? And what I mean by that is is we lock our doors, we don't go outside anymore, nobody wants to go outside. We stay inside, we go to the grocery store and we keep our eyes down because we don't want anybody to see us so that we don't have to waste any time. We don't want to bump into anybody. Maybe we need to start bumping into people at the grocery store for the gospel. God's called us to be intentional in in every moment that we're breathing. God's called us to go in every moment that we're breathing. So God's called us to be the light of the world. To show the light of Jesus. And we can't do that when we go in our, in our houses and lock our door and sit on our recliner and never get out. I'm not saying that you can't rest. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy some, some, some downtime. Everybody needs to rest. But if all we're doing is focused on how can I be the least of, of bumping into people and running into people, no, we need to take every moment captive and say, I'm going for the kingdom of God today. But you can only do that if you're showing the gospel. You can only do that if you're growing. And you can only do all those things if you know Jesus personally. In 2 Corinthians, as I just read, it it continues on. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jesus has committed to you and I the word of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Congregation, when was the last time that you looked at somebody and said, I, I, I pray, I beg that you would be reconciled to God. You know, the more that we get to know Jesus, the more that we get to know him, the more that we see Christ in our lives, I'm telling you, the more I want to go and share with all the world. You say, David, what if I don't have the finances to get over wherever this is? Egypt. God will provide. He is provider. And today he's provided you with oxygen in Mobile, Alabama to go and tell the world about Jesus. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, it says, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Uh Uh-oh, everybody just got called an evangelist. I mean, we could all raise our right hand and say, I am on mission for God. I'm a missionary in in a foreign world. Because this is not our home. Our vision is the globe. God brought us, Randy Presley, just recently as our youth and our missions pastor And you say, David, what does that mean? Listen, our vision is is that we want to see Luke 4.18 going across the nation sharing the gospel. But that does not negate the fact that we must every day here in Mobile share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to live sent. And I want to share this with you. Many people tell me, I don't know enough, David, to go share the gospel. I don't know enough. Well, that's great. Neither does a child. And children are some of the most effective tools in sharing the gospel. You know what they know? I needed Jesus and he saved my life. That's all they know. That's all they know. I pray right now for, for people in my own family and, and people friends of mine, that my little six-year-old would just that, that, that her innocence and who she is, and, and as she proclaims Jesus in her boldness, because she's not fearful that they will come to know Jesus. Nothing stands in your way from, from knowing. Growing and showing. Nothing stops you to to the point of going except for fear in the enemy. The only thing that stops you from going is the fear of the enemy. And the fear that the enemy puts on us. So I want you to show that slide up for me. This This is a vision of disciple making. That we know God intimately, personally. That we grow daily that we show and that we go. This is a gospel-centered, disciple-making journey. And let me tell you, it's not uh, step one, step two, step three, step four. We are all in these areas, but this is what our focus is for generations to come, that people will know God, that people will grow in in knowing God and grow uh, in their own life, that they will show Christ to all people and that they will go all across the world. That's who we are at Luke 4.18. So we see our mission is Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We see our vision is that, that we're going to know, to grow, to show, and to go. We see that. But the Lord has shown me that there are some areas and some things that that we need to do in order to continue to push forward in the vision that God's given us and the mission that He's called us to. You say, David, what are those things? Let me share with you. We have a space problem at Luke Four Eighteen fellowship. We have a space problem. As in, we don't have enough space. Now, I want to share this with you. My heart, Brother Fred's heart, is not to build a megachurch. It's not my heart. My heart is to make disciples who go all over the world who also make disciples. That's my heart. My heart is to share the glory of Jesus Christ and what He's done in my life and for people to come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and for us to help nurture and grow them in Christ. But the Lord put on my heart not too long ago that we have a space problem. We have four areas of not enough space at Luke 4.18. Number one, parking. You say, David, I saw one or two spots out there today. Well, how many of y'all have ever been to a restaurant and the parking was pretty much full? And you said, You know what? They're packed inside. And so I'm going to another restaurant. If we don't have parking spaces for people, then how are we going to continue to grow in helping people know Jesus intimately, personally? Just today, as we put out a letter for y'all to come and to hear the vision and to hear what we're doing. And as brother Fred, uh, we sent out a card and and we wanted you to come and we put on the card if you're able to park either in the grass or over here in the uh the 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 I guess the horse farm. How many people how many people had to park in the grass today? There was about 15 people. So on a day like today when we come and everybody shows up, we didn't even have enough paved parking for people. But yet we want to continue to grow and reach this city. And so we have a parking problem. People will not come if there's no place for them to park. I have literally seen people drive through the parking lot, not see a spot, and drive out. Number two, we have educational space problems. If you're here at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know we have classes that we really need to bust the walls down. So that they can just fit in in the classes. Listen, educational space, life group space, that is growing. As in, that's us growing in Christ. That's part of our vision for people to be disciples of Christ. One of the leading areas of people growing and showing in a church is the life group, the discipleship area. And so we're running out of that. In the 11 o'clock hour, we have one or two rooms left. And even to the point that some of us meet on Thursday nights because we are out of space. The third thing that I want you to see that we have some issues in space is our fellowship hall. If you've ever been here on a Wednesday night, you've noticed that not everybody can come and eat at the same time. It's like a restaurant in the fact that you have to rotate tables through. If we don't rotate tables through... We could not fit every person who comes on Wednesday night to eat there. Which also means that if we wanted to have some type of event within our body of Christ that involves some type of food or something, we can't do it here on site. The only place that we have room big enough for the amount of people that we even have today is in here. There's been times where literally we've done stuff off site and people have missed the blessing because we could not fit it here and our Wednesday night continues to grow the fourth and the last area that I want to talk to you about and by the way the fellowship hall is about our showing it's about us coming together as the body of Christ the fourth space issue that we have is youth space if any of you have gone and seen our youth space you'd understand that that if we get about 20 more people in there 20 more students we're full we need dedicated youth space that we can continue to share and let people see that, that, that we are helping people know, grow, show, and go. We've hired an incredible youth pastor. And if we grow more than 20 people, we would be full in that place. So you say, David, how much room do we really need? If you don't want to be a megachurch, how much room do we really need? And I believe the answer to that is this. God has put on my heart that our max number at Luke 4.18 in this area before we go church plant or spread out or whatever that is in the future would be two services here. We can comfortably fit 700 people in here. So what is our max number here? 1,400 people. Two services, 1,400 people. And so when we begin to pray and think about space, our prayer is that the Lord will show us, direct us, and guide us to have space to park the amount of cars that we would need for two services for ultimately 1,400 people. When it comes to youth space and fellowship hall and that, we believe that a multi-purpose building on our four acres of land that God has blessed us with would work. And it would meet the needs that we have. You say, David, we haven't, we're not there yet. But if we wait, then we missed it. If we are saying this is the vision and we know that God's gonna bless us because we've laid it all on the altar, the question is, why aren't we preparing for it? But there's one area that I wanna share with you is that though we believe that these are the spacings that we have and these are the areas that we need, Brother Fred and I both have prayed and sought the Lord over this, and we both believe that we do not need to move forward in getting and beginning to prepare a master plan for that space until we've retired the debt at Luke 4.18. I want you to know that today where we sit, we have spent $7.7 million on the land and the facility. Glory be to God and God alone. Over that time I shared with you that we have given 2.4 million to missions, and if you add benevolence on top of that, it's over three million dollars. Right this moment, we owe one point six million dollars on this facility. Which means, which means if we went from seven point seven to and we owe one point six, that means that God has allowed us to pay six point one million dollars in eleven years. I don't know about y'all, we need to give God like the praise for that. Now here's my prayer. On May 26, 2019, which is 31 weeks away, our balloon note comes due on this facility. Now some of y'all say, oh no, a balloon note. Listen, the bank would be very happy to continue and move forward with that note. To renegotiate it, to, to allow us to have more years, to get a different loan. But I believe that God has said that we just need to pay it off. That we can continue forth with the vision that God has given us. That we can move forward in in building the, the space that we need and the parking that we have. That we need. So here's what the Lord has put on our heart, and I'm going to close down with this and and, and I know I don't even know what time it is. They took the clock off. But let me break it down a little bit for you. My prayer is, is that over the next two weeks that you'll ask the Lord and pray knowing what our vision and what our plan is. That He would show us what we are to give in order to pay off this debt. Let me break it down. 1.6 million in debt. We have right at 600 givers at Luke 4.18. You divide 600 by 1.6 million, and it comes down to $2,680 a giver. I don't know about y'all, but that's a lot easier number to look at than 1.6 million. Over 29 weeks, that's $92 a week. Now, what I'm saying here is this. When you look at a building project when you look at the Empire State Building, one person didn't build the Empire State Building. They said it was over 300 people who built the Empire State Building. God's called us as a body of Christ to come together in this. Here's what I want you to do right now. At the end of your seats on the left side, on the left sides over here, on, this, on the left side of your seat you'll see a little envelope. On the left side of your seat you'll see an envelope. On the far left... If nobody's sitting on the far left, somebody's going to have to get it for them. But on the far left, you're going to see an envelope. I want you to take one and I want you to pass it down. As in, take one of the cards out of it and I want you to pass it down. And listen, family, I know, and I call you all family because that's who we are. I know it's 11 o'clock and we'll be done within the next 10, 15 minutes, but I want to just share this with you. Here's our prayer. Over the next two weeks, Brother Fred's going to speak next week and he's going to share about even more of what I'm talking about with, our, with the giving. But we want to take time over the next two weeks and ask the Lord, Many of you know our Joshua budget that we have done and we're going to ask the Lord and say Lord will you show us what it is that you're calling me to give towards paying off the debt at Luke 418. In 2 weeks from now, we're going to ask that we return these cards, but I want you to see two things on this card. Number 1, it says I'm pledging by May 26, 2019 according to what God has called me to, not what I think, not what I hope. No, what God has spoken to me. I'm not asking for you to go jump out on a limb or do this. Or I, I'm, I'm asking you to hear what God is speaking because if God speaks it to you, go back to Genesis 22, God provides. Amen? Amen? But the other thing I want you to notice on this, there's no name. There's no name on this. We're not asking you to sign your name and all this stuff. All we want to do is on November 4th, be able to take these up and come back that same morning and share with you that through God's provision that we see that we are three-fourths of the way, or this amount is pledged to be paid off of the debt for Luke 4.18, that we may continue and push forward. But I want you to hear. Please do not write your name on this. And please pray and ask the Lord that he would speak and then I'm going to ask that you would walk in obedience. And I'm saying that to myself. Now at this time as we begin to close here in a minute, I'm going to ask that the staff and their wives to come up on stage. And I want to do something just a little bit different as we close. And then I'm going to pass it to brother Fred. But you got to understand the only reason that we do this is not to build buildings. It's not so that we can say, look at how grand we are. Because if that's the case, we might as well just close up shop. Our mission is to help people know God intimately. To grow people spiritually. For them to show what God's done in their lives and for them to go all across the nation. Would our staff come on up? And the reason I've asked our staff to come up and their wives... And Brother Fred and Brother Ed. Is that I want you all to see the team. That is committed to the mission. And to the vision. That God has given us here at Luke 4.18. And so we're going to close. I'm going to pray over our staff. Our team. Sorry. Sorry. And then I'm going to ask Brother Fred also to pray for the team and the body of Christ. And I know that we're going to sing at the end. But I'm going to ask that you will run with us for the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all things. All that I've commanded you. And that you would go with us over the mission As we go forward, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this incredible team that you've given us. Lord, we stand up here as a united team for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you have called us and you have said that when we lay it all down, our preferences, our desires, every bit of who we are, when we lay it down on the altar, you have promised that you will bless this body of believers for generations and generations to come. So God, we thank you that you are our provider. We are not doing this alone. We're not doing it in our own power. We stand up here in the power of Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, I know as I've seen just the incredible... Uh, the movement of God even today in, in the body, that people here are excited about what you are going to do as we make disciples and send them all over the world. So God, bless us indeed. And Lord, enrich and grow our territory every day for your glory and for your kingdom. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.